0: Welcome to the latest episode of Investec Focus Talks, a series of candid conversations with innovators, leaders, and changemakers. I'm Mavata Ramathare, Head of People Consulting at Investec. In today's episode, we delve into a topic that's gained much currency through COVID. The skill of building resilience. The modern world is a place that is full of uncertainty and the ability to adapt and to adapt quickly to change has become a strategic asset for many organizations. To discuss what resilience is and how organizations can foster it amongst their employees, I'm joined by a Canadian-based expert on resilience, Dr. Michael Unger. When i hear you talk and in reading some of your research that you've thought about resilience in a systemic way when often resilience is you know pop psychology and social media tells us it's about grit and it's about your you know internal sort of resolve so maybe just you know bust the myth for us and give us your definition of resilience
1: (laughs) our understanding of resilience is changing so the Mm -hmm. definition that that the team and i use is one more about It's about navigating or making our way to the resources that we need, psychological, social, the institutional supports that get us through a tough time. But along with navigating, which involves a certain amount of personal motivation to go looking for things, and of course the world giving us what we need, there's also, we see in our work, a lot about negotiation, which is about, look, I've got to, if I'm asking the world for some help, it's got to be given to me in ways that make sense. So, you know, if, if I'm in, if, if I'm in an employee, if I'm saying to my boss, I'm really stressed by the workload and they come back and they say, okay, we're just going to give you a raise. I get it, but it's actually the wrong solution. Now, you know, people like raises. Don't get me wrong.
0: <laughs> <Lappy>. <laughs> yeah, they're good,
1: but it's the wrong solution and it won't actually solve the problem because the workload is the problem. So simply adding more money doesn't necessarily change the equation. But giving people the supports they need or the extra training or the mentoring or the boss coming in and saying, okay, look, I, I see you've got 20 tasks here. Let me show you how to get them done in the proper amount of time. Or my gosh, you do have 20 tasks. I didn't realize I couldn't even get this done. Let me, let me see if we can revisit your workload. If your performance is up to it, then let's talk about a raise. But we often mismatch what we need. So there's a process of navigation and negotiation and that Allows us to use those internal qualities. You used, if I might, you Mm -hmm. also use the word grit. And I think sometimes in those talks about grit, we forget that in those, you know, original studies of grit, failing was not always bad. Like they were done with military personnel trained to be elite soldiers. And the idea was that the the ones that finished basic the intensive training showed more grit. But there were lots of people that as they were being, you know, they were told to crawl through the mud while people sh- fired live ammunition over their heads and everything else. And they said, this is not for me. And can we reframe that? Even Angela Duckworth who did, you know, it's not a failure that you pull back from that. You simply said, this is not the right job for me. Mm-hmm. So they revisit, they they, they they repivot, they pivot to other career paths or something like that that's more suited to them. And I think sometimes, you know, grit, can be oversold because we don't want people who, you know, endlessly persist. In fact, the research shows that too much grit has a paradoxical relationship. It wears you down. Mm. So people who are constantly exposed to stress in their community or bombardment or chronic racism, chronic poverty, uh, uh, stress in the workplace, it wears you down. And sometimes it's better if we sort of signal, hello, I need some help here earlier. So I, I, I guess what we want is a, a true resilience. Is hmm. this dance between what we have and what we need, and it's constantly, it's constantly changing, you know? And that is is really how we need to understand resilience. Mm,
0: and I love how you speak about facilitating resilience rather than being resilient, because I guess that's that dance of navigating, you know, and and really seeking for rather than thinking it's all on you.
1: I've learned a lot from many of my colleagues, including Dr. Linda Theron here in South Africa, who is at the University of Pretoria, who's a colleague. And and she talks about these enablers. Mm. And that can be a grandmother who facilitates a family that's being overwhelmed by their child demands and all that. It can be a teacher who steps in to make sure a child is well fed or simply who maybe has undiagnosed learning challenges it it can also be an employer that sets up a campaign for you know to support a community mm. um that's vulnerable uh, or helping train young people for the next next generation of the workforce these enablers come in all shapes and sizes and i've jokingly referred to them as as um as fairy godmothers or fairy godfathers if you prefer that you know that that sort of person that comes into your life and actually makes it possible for you to be better than you ever could be and I think that's kind of where we're, where we're understanding that, that, that our resilience is tied up with the resilience of these other well, systems mm. around us.
0: That is so fascinating to me. So in the organizational context, um, we at Investec really see the organization as a system in itself. Yeah. So I find it quite interesting that you, you think about the resilience in that way. So what would you say to leaders around facilitating resilience for their teams?
1: Well there is a bit of a, a script that we're beginning to see. I mean, for instance, I mean one of the things that leaders can do is start with the really basics of ensuring enough of a structure to people's day, that there's some expectations for when they show up, that there's reasonable time for people to, you know, to 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 get their personal needs met to have lunch or whatever, that just reasonable boundaries and expectations on employees. Mm. And people respond well to that, that they know where they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to be doing. There's a sort of sense of security, predictability to your life. Yep. But there's also a lot to be said for holding people accountable, to giving them genuine responsibilities. But there's a huge part of this about really drawing out people's talents too and making sure that their their special skills have an opportunity to thrive. It's interesting, here's a funny little twist on this. they're They're talking about, of course, we wanna send people to Mars now, not just to the moon, but to <laughs> Mars. And the astronauts that we've been sending to the moon or into the space station and stuff have tended to be kind of like test pilots. Go, go, the sort of the mission impossible, who's a Tom Cruise (laughs) kind of (laughs) characters, right? And, And what we're actually saying, if we're gonna go to Mars, that's not who we want. We don't wanna put people like that into those little sausage cans and send them for two years in a spaceship far from Earth. What we need is people who are able to collaborate but much more introspective, much more quieter types who are going to be able to sustain themselves. Mm. So if you look at some of the research on that, the resilience of the future astronauts is going to look very different than the resilience of the kind of astronauts we've had up to date. My point of that is is that every business has different needs inside its organization. We need some people who are gregarious and outgoing and Mm. team players, and we're going to need others who are quieter and more introspective. And even to how we think about, because you're, again, thinking systemically, how have you set up your offices? Have you ever noticed, by the way, and I've been in some of these really niche, nouveau designed offices where, you know, everyone is sort of in, you know, there's the barista with the coffee shop and there's all the new open concept and everything. It looks great. But have you noticed that some people thrive on connecting and networking and others begin to bring in potted plants and they, they strategically put the potted plant here and then it grows. And then they, they, they put on the earphones and then they, they, they put up a picture of their child in front to block their visual plane. And they were literally creating out of this space. What they need to survive is a less congested space, a less congested and noisy space. Yeah. Now, rather than seeing that as negative, that doesn't mean that they don't want to be social. They just need a little bit more control of that space of their lives. And so what we need is this constant negotiation so that even the physicality, the the physical geography of our spaces meets our needs, including our contact with nature, when we commute, Mm. our our, our travel times, our parking spots, our access to physical fitness equipment or whatever it is, Um, job definitions, chances for retraining, Employers have this incredible responsibility that they can actually bring out the best in their employees by giving them, you know, these opportunities to use their talents, to experience some say over their mm. workplace. I mean, it's be no surprise that the, you know, all the major car companies on those long production lines, like Toyota and others, they always have that, you know, that button that says "I have the power to stop the production line," yeah. and they know that workers are much less stressed when they know that if they see something wrong. That they will not let it pass if they feel like they have the power to actually stop and to 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 be you know to feel like they're they're part of a team that's going to be held accountable for what they're producing. Um, I've seen incredible you know uh, I've done some work with DHL and and uh, the, the shipping company and they've you know they they really wanted their employees to feel especially during the pandemic a certain amount of flexibility because yeah. there was no precedent for these conditions that they were working in, so they needed to empower their employees to make decisions on the fly and to show much more flexibility, while also keeping them safe and and instituting practices. So safety, security, decision-making, team building, um, uh, 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 accountability, structure to your day, um, just making sure people feel connected to their others, uh, training opportunities, um, financial compensation that's adequate and, and you feel like you're being treated and recognized for what you contribute. If I could almost like a Cirque du Soleil act here, I want to sort of, I want to get juggling all of these things up in the air because they all sort of pivot off of each other. Mm. And what I've seen and certainly what what people have been, you know, very kind to show me is that is that these factors all work together Mm. to create a very healthy, invigorating and sustainable workplace where people don't go on stress leave and they actually get through times when workloads pick up and maybe even times when there's a crisis and things drop off. Mm.
0: So it's almost this complex dance of many factors as a leader that you are needing to be conscious of and aware of and thinking around what you can, what resources you can almost pull in that environment rather than thinking about wellness and resilience of your team as take some leave.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm gonna send you off to the employment assistant counselor. Um, Not that that's not sometimes needed. There are people who just hit a snag. uh, they get overwhelmed. Um, but if I had to sort of put a number to this, I would say that seven out of 10 people kind of can deal with most of the stress put on them mm-hmm. and change just by these kind of systemic changes around them, just by making sure the workspace is accommodating to their needs. We, and I see so many businesses doing this. They're, they're really thinking through um, you know, getting people involved, making sure that their talents are recognized. Um, and not in that superficial way, if I could, if I could just kind of get us away from that. You know that you're the employee of the, of the month, month. because oh, you, you yes. showed up and you're breathing. <sighs> My gosh, you're breathing. Therefore, you are now the employee. No, it, it, it's got to be more substantial than that. Admittedly, there are some jobs that are very routine yeah. and it's very difficult to create that. But even then, people build a sense of team and, and collaboration with others. Um, they maybe know that outside of their workplace they shine in something else. I work a lot with like volunteer organizations yeah. where people are volunteers in their communities and they develop powerful identities through that. But how is that powerful identity developed out here? Or even you're just a good dad or a good mom. How is that honored in the workplace? How is that also reinforced by my relationships when I'm talking to m- my colleagues? And and you know, is there any space for me to put up you know, if my child just graduated high school, I think I want my colleagues to know that and, and and my my job might be quite mundane, but if those parts of my life and parts of your life come into the place as well, then suddenly this becomes my social space that gives me some support. It also pays the bills and stuff but it 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 allows me a certain amount of of, a, of an identity as well. Mm. Um, And people do define themselves by what they do. We, we go to the, you know, the pub and bar on Friday night and someone says, well, what do you, you know, who are you? What do you do? And you say, well, I work at a bank. I, 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 you know, I drive a, I drive a truck. I, I, I'm a teacher or Mm. whatever, right? And, and those definitions reinforce who we are. And, and I'd like to think that no matter who we are, that there's a certain amount of respect, um, for what we do and we we do it well and that, that's acknowledged by others.
0: You know, at Investec, we speak about bringing your whole self to work. And that sounds like a little bit of what you're referring to.
1: And the the evidence and the research would say that that's a great idea. But of course, the, the challenge is how do you do that? Exactly. You know, how do you create that space? Indeed, to bring our whole self into our job, as Investec is talking about, means also paying attention to all those aspects of my life. My parking spot, my public transit access, my travel times, mm. what happens when my child is really sick. Um, I'm, I'm quite optimistic as I've watched corporations transform and I, the pandemic was awful. We, we can all agree yep. the loss of life. I, I know people who have passed because of it. I, this is awful, but it also taught us what was possible mm. in terms of corporations and work lives, and opportunities to be a little more flexible, True. um, and I'm hoping that some of those lessons endure and force us to grow as any crisis really should.
0: Mm. In, in thinking about, you know, environments that facilitate resilience, what would you, what would you say around how, what we should be thinking about as an organization to, you know, ensure that we, we create the right level of resilience? And is it remote work <laughs> that should remain? Is it a hybrid? Is it coming back into the office and wow. being together?
1: I'm I'm really torn by what is the right answer. And I and I got to admit the research is, seems to be ambiguous on this. I'm not seeing any conclusive decision. But from a resilience point of view, what I what I do think we've learned from the pandemic is the need to match the right protective factors, the right resources to the risks that we face. So, pandemic, lots of need for social isolation, emergency care, major problems with parenting and families, with kids at home. I mean, there were so many crises that we had to do something. And organizations that held their employees and didn't stress their employees to the max, allowed them to work from home and flexible hours and everything else. That kind of worked. But like any resilience factors, there were consequences. Mm -hmm. I'm not convinced that teams can work, but I don't know if we can team build. I see in my own life that I, the relationships I had during the pandemic or before the pandemic mm. were sustainable, but I don't think I developed new relationships, new directions. So I do still think that the office-based experience is necessary because again, if I change the focus on what, I'm, what the risk factor is, yep. then teams need proximity to each other. People need to interact in non-formal ways sometimes to generate spontaneous ideas. And the online environment is extremely good for tasks to move a task forward. But I don't know if it's as good for brainstorming or to create the informal inspiration or to innovate. Uh so, so I think again, it's for if if the business was to say, rather than getting at the end, say, okay, we need people here five days a week from this hour to this hour, if the problem was, say, what is the problem we have? Mm. We need teams to be more cohesive and sustainable and innovative. We need Uh, better levels of communication that are sustainable. So when we bring in new team members, they feel well connected to everyone else. And that probably implies a concentration of time in the office. Now, whether that's this team works three days a week and two days a week they have the option of working at home, maybe that's the compromise for that specific team. At the same time, um, maybe teams that are more international would like to stagger their hours. So you don't have to deal with the congestion on South African highways. If we define the problem, then the leadership can identify what the potential solution is that's going to be necessary for that team to be optimally functioning. Mm -hmm. I would hope though, that we don't have to go back to that one size fits all corporate model. Everyone shows up at eight o'clock. Everyone goes home at four. We all put up with the congestion. We all put up with the implications of that. Our child is sick and we have no flexibility to work at home, even though now computer technology and Zoom technology has proven that we can do this smoothly. In other words, we could begin to think about technological innovations that uh, make it possible for us to be successful.
0: So true. Um, I'd like to go back a little bit um, and talk about you specifically. You mentioned that um, you grew up in, you are from Canada, you're Canadian. Yes. Uh, Could you tell us a little bit about your life story? And you spoke about being emancipated at 16. Yeah. Um, Tell us how and I assume that work led you into the work that you do now, or that, that time led you into the work that you do now. Sure. So we are interested to hear more.
1: Sure. So when I was growing up, um, I, I kind of a lower class family, struggling to get into the middle class. That was mm. sort of the, the economics of, of my life. And so we didn't, you know, it was, it was a sort of a challenging time. And I think, my, I think my, my, my parents, my father worked very, very, very long hours and commuted a very long distance and mm. stuff so he wasn't really a big part of my my life not because he wasn't there but because of that my mother was probably not well suited to having four children mm. and the chaos and the mayhem and stuff and so that situation had become pretty abusive mm. as i was growing up and because i i again think about talents i was academically very inclined i was able to succeed in school and um an opportunity and just the way things happened whatever i had an opportunity to leave home mm-hmm. um when i was 16 years old just wow. turned 16 and i was able to go away and go on to college or university now what's interesting about that was i actually had to fund that myself so wow. i'd been i'd been working since i was like 12 years old in factories and stuff like that in montreal where i grew up i had a great grandmother who really believed in me that you know offered me that kind of you know she was who i went to if i if i wasn't really challenged or whatever uh so i think you know we think about people i had a teacher who at one point uh, when I even earlier left home and stuff that, you know, he was sort of there and supported me. Um, and so I I'm really conscious of the multiple ways that we think about who we need to support us. And certainly when I was in the work world, I've had some great bosses. I've had, you know, people, um, who've, who, you know, sort of been willing to sort of coach me along the way and and see perhaps even see in me some, some, some strengths that maybe I didn't even know were there. And offer me some challenging opportunities. And I think sometimes, ed, you know, we we know from the you know research on you know, bosses and supervisors, leaders in good corporations, are often able to play that role, mm. just to see that somebody has a little bit extra talent, and to offer them the opportunity to grow. That's a retention strategy. That's also a stress reduction. People don't go on stress leave. And I've seen the opposite too. I was working with some teachers where. Mm. This teacher was being asked to do something in her job, but she just, she was a great teacher of math. And then she was being asked to diversify what she was doing and be more of a social or mental health support to some kids. And she hated it when the kids cried in her office. She didn't want, she was a great math teacher. And the imposition by her administrator to change her role to something that she wasn't good at was actually the wrong, and she became less good at what she did. And my prediction was, That she was going to go on stress leave or take early retirement or back out because Mm. her employer it wasn't be it's not her fault but the situation was diminishing her resilience because they were taking away the very things the very identities and decision-making powers and the opportunities to shine they were taking those things away from her and the consequence of that was she was becoming overwhelmed and stressed Mm. so the question is is she not resilient or is the business not resilient And sometimes we have to put i i I say this gently but sometimes the responsibility also has to be for the systems or the structures or indeed the employers they have to sometimes look in the mirror themselves as a leader and say am i doing everything to prevent stress leaves in the people that i'm supervising Mm -hmm.
0: and that
1: becomes a more dynamic conversation
0: Mm -hmm. so really an ecosystem that you're a part of exactly yeah
1: exactly and that's a different conversation about resilience than just hey you have grit you're going to survive on your own and the problem with that story is that one in a thousand, one in a hundred will. There's always those exceptionally gifted genetically, uh, um, uh, they win, they won the genetic lottery, yeah. they have some sort of extra talents or personalities, they fit into the right community, they're gonna succeed. But see, the problem with that theory is that's one in a hundred, the other 99 get left behind. So I'd rather a world where we take a chance and get 70 of those hundred through that system well Maybe not all 99, maybe not all 100. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm realistic. I yeah. might not be that good, but I'd really rather we design systems and communities and we fund, you know, equitable programs so that at least a good portion of people have at least a really fair shot mm. at demonstrating their resilience and getting where they want to go.
0: It explains why my uh, daily affirmations do not work. <laughs> <laughs> no, well,
1: well, <laughs> but daily affirmations do work if, if when you just... I always say if you if you look in the mirror and say every day and every way, I'm getting better and better as long as when you leave that room you have an auntie or a grandmother or a friend that says you go. You, you are. I believe in you. Yeah. Or look at you, you know, you're at the gym, you're at the friend, you're at the shops, you're at some and someone says, "Yes, I actually see that in you." that the combination of the two is the most powerful.
0: Uh, Michael, thank you so much. Uh, It really is a privilege to have time with you and it's been such a pleasure. I'm walking away with many things um, that are inspiring and thought provoking. Uh, Thank you so much for your time.
1: Pleasure, absolute pleasure to share this with yourself and Investec and and, uh, wish you and and your colleagues all the best. Thank you for the invitation.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's talk, there's plenty more where that came from. Conversations with the likes of Prof Glenda Gray, Alan de Baton, and Sir Richard Branson. Just scroll through Investec Focus Radio. And remember to subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts.